I've got to tell you, nothing like sleeping on a comfortable mattress. And I get that every night, whether I'm in Los Angeles or St. Louis, with my sleep number bed. And with spring in the air, and you know what that means, cleaning time. And when was the last time you replaced your pillows or your mattress? Wake up refreshed with a mattress that helps you sleep your best. The Sleep Number Mattress adjusts to your ideal firmness or softness, and a queen starts at just $899.99. And with Sleep IQ technology, it adjusts to let you just have a great night's sleep. My Sleep Number setting is 90. My Sleep IQ score was 82 last night. Come in now and save on clearance beds and bedding as Sleep Number makes room for their newest innovations. Right now, you can save $500 to $1,000 on selected beds, plus up to 40% off clearance pillows. You'll only find Sleep Number at any of the 550 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Call 1-800-390-9100 and make sure you tell them George Norrie sent you. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. David, a story we have at coasttocoastam.com, one of our top stories. Uh, Let me read you just a little bit of it. An astronomy professor at Penn State University has put forward a hypothesis that should sound familiar to UFO enthusiasts. In a recently published paper, the professor, James Wright, theorizes that Earth as well as Mars and Venus may have once been inhabited by technologically advanced extraterrestrials. What do you think of that? Uh, I would, uh, well, first of all, I wish it were true, okay, because I I love the subject. I don't do it on the space show, but I do love the subject. I I would uh, punt back to the famous saying by Carl Sagan that um, if you're going to make extra uh, special claims, you need a lot of extra special evidence. I mean, that's not the direct quote, but I'm sure you're familiar with. Extraordinary claims. Need extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, I would, uh, and I would say stay grounded, and, you know, I'd like to see the guy's evidence for that, if there is any evidence for it. I don't know how you could ever confirm it, and, and that's always a problem. But if you are going to make, really super-duper claims, you, you better have the super-duper evidence to, to, to back it up. And I don't know how you get that, but uh, I would not shut my mind to it. I, I Listen, there's a lot of strange things in this universe. Just look at Ceres, for example, from the Dawn mission, you know, the, the little asteroid out there. That thing is so strange and has so many unbelievable aspects about it, and water, ice, and things that have been coming in. And look at, you've got this new exoplanet that was discovered by an Earth-based telescope. Was that the Proxima B? Yeah, the one near it. And it's got an atmosphere that an Earth-based telescope did it. And now we've got two big Earth-based telescopes coming online in the next couple of years, and we're going to be able to determine exactly what is in that atmosphere if there could be, you know, life-sustaining uh, organics like we have here on Earth. And that's because it has an atmosphere, and Earth-based telescopes can read that atmosphere. So, you know, stuff is changing, and strange things are being found out. And who? I would say in five years, George, we won't even... In five years, we'll be talking about things that we had no idea even existed today during this discussion. When are we going to get to the point where we have, and I'm talking about through NASA, rockets to start launching things again? Oh, boy. Is it going to happen? It is going to happen. So first of all, you do have that with SpaceX already. 
but if if you want uh, the government, yeah. But what what would you say SpaceX's reliability is? Sixty um, percent. Well, no, they've done what twenty one launches and they've lost two of them. So, uh, all right, know, we'll do the we'll do the math. That, on that's that. kind of par for a startup rocket. Uh, they're getting ready to start testing their Falcon Heavy, uh, but they uh, did some uh, some problem engineering and they've got to redesign some of the central core stuff because the way they were strapping them together wasn't going to work. So they're going to have some delays on Falcon Heavy, but they're going to start doing some ground testing on Falcon Heavy in the near future later this year. Uh, the government rocket, the big one that, that is controversial is the SLS. Um, and, you know, that's the really heavy lift big one, although the first part of the heavy lift one is, is a little bit smaller. Uh, so, you know, that's probably going to be delayed past 2018. Uh, I think as long as they don't kill the funding for it, I think it will fly, uh, but it will be delayed. Uh, will they actually find real missions for it? Will it be worth the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we're spending on it and that it will require for a standing army to maintain and launch it? I can't answer that question for you because I haven't seen any plans that show how this thing is seriously going to be used. I see and read a lot of rhetoric, but rhetoric doesn't equal policy or plan. And if you don't fund your policy or plan, you, you just have rhetoric. So SLS is kind of an unknown, but I do think it will fly. But I, I would imagine it, it's going to be delayed past 2018. David, what do you think happened to Mars? I mean, it once had oceans. Who knows what kind of life it may or may not have had, but something catastrophic happened there. What happened? Well, you know, they've got MAVEN going up there, and they're trying to find out what happened to the atmosphere on Mars. Uh, I, I really think that if we could put geologists on Mars rather than just total robotics, uh, I think we'd find uh, serious evidence or, or proof of past life on Mars. I think you're right. Now, it might just be uh, simple molecular or biological you know, molecules, and I'm not saying it had sentient life on it. But uh, something happened. I don't think we know all the answers to it yet. We do have probes that are out there trying to tell us, uh, you know, what happened and where the atmosphere went. I think we know a lot more about that today than we did two years ago. Uh, but I can't answer that question. I think it is a it is a key question. I strongly support the continued robotic exploration of Mars to answer these questions. But I really think. George, we need boots on the ground in some very key places with geologists who can, you know, in, instead of spending five years to go, what, uh, a quarter mile, who, who can go a quarter mile in an hour and, and really make some progress exploring and, and looking for things and doing some excavating on Mars. What drives you, David, uh, in uh, how long have you been fascinated with space? I would guess since you were a little boy. Yeah, of course. I used to look at the the stars with a Cub Scout telescope in my backyard in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where I grew up. I mean, you know, what kid didn't do things like that, you know? And uh, the Cub Scout telescopes were pretty cool. You could see rings around Saturn and craters on the moon. And um, so I've always been interested. I love the 1950s sci-fi movies, you know, and the, and the Flying Saucer movies, Earth versus Flying Saucers, all of that stuff. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, when I when I got older and was in graduate school and was doing economics and stuff, and I, I wanted to uh, 
put it to use with a passion, and I, I came across people who started talking to me about space tourism and, and Mars. This was uh, 16, 17 years ago. And um, I saw an opportunity to sort of mesh my financial and business interests uh, to, uh, you know, my longtime passion for space, but take it out of the realm of, of science fiction, but, you know, more or less into the, into the reality world. Uh, but, but I really think the path to a better life for everybody on this planet goes through space. So if you, if you think about it, and uh, you and I probably are around the same age we grew up, and the Cold War was on. I did duck and cover drills. You probably did that stuff, too, in school. Oh, yeah. And, and um, you know, the, we were, you know, doing Cuban Missile Crisis and all these problems, and, and yet we had uh, peaceful relations with one another in space. And, and, in fact, you see that going on now. We don't have a good relationship with Russia, and, um, you know, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go into the politics of the U.S. and Russia, but it's not good. But, man, on the space station... And when they're on the Soyuz together and the cosmonaut crews and the astronaut crews, they get along like they're blood brothers. And so the path to a better world for everybody on this planet, even some poor slob in Syria who's had his home taken away by the terrorist and his family killed, goes through space. We, we've got better technology. We've got better communications. We've got medicine that you you never dreamed of. We never dreamed of some of the things when when we were kids that we can do in medicine today. And a lot of that comes from the electronics and the miniaturization and and what's happened with space and and other technology technology fields as well. So if if we can hold humanity together and continue to develop and explore space, that is the path to a far far better world for everybody living on this planet. It's going to improve our lives, our health, our cultures, uh, everything. And so space, to me, is really, really crucial. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.